This is Doug Hastings, Vice President of Moody Radio, and we're thankful for support from our listeners and businesses like United Faith Mortgage. Heading into spring, I've been spending a lot of time pondering, analyzing, and debating something extremely important to men, and even many women, and that's whether a new driver would improve my golf game. I would say I'm somewhere between embarrassing and appalling at golf, but man, do I love it. And all my buddies show up with these epic flash, big Maverick Bertha drivers, and I can't help but feel like they've got this massive advantage on me and my persimmons. It's Ryan, and at our Faith and Family Mortgage Team, we're proud to have a pretty special advantage ourselves, and one that can be a big deal for you. Our team is an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company uses its own money and makes its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. And this advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, saving monthly and lifelong money on a refinance or new home purchase. We're much better at mortgages than I am at golf. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed Mortgage Banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. When we feel strongly about somebody, we feel upset about somebody's character, we feel upset about what the policy that's being made, we feel upset about an extreme right position or extreme left position or whatever that might be, just keep in mind, keep in mind that we could be guilty of what we're condemning. Welcome to Living a Legacy with speaker and author Crawford Lorenz. Well, the last few years have revealed that there's serious tension in our country. The issues are many. Racial conflict, injustice, lack of trust in some of our elected officials and law enforcement personnel. Pressure on religious institutions to betray their principles and convictions. We all sense the tension. As followers of Jesus, we can easily depart from the demeanor Christ himself modeled for us when in turbulent times. Now, the Bible doesn't call for us to be passive on issues clearly prohibited in Scripture, but it does ask us to demonstrate an alternative in the way we conduct ourselves. Today, we'll continue a message Crawford started last week, titled Free and Focused. He reminded us that as Christians living amidst turmoil, it's very important that we remember who we represent and that we need to focus on what matters most. Today's message will wrap up Crawford's series, Focused and Free. We're studying the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus, in which Paul warns of the dangers of false teaching about God's grace and the truth of the gospel. Our text is Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. What are the rails here? Well, the first one is, is that you've got to remember who we represent. The second one is, is that we've got to stay focused on what matters most. Stay focused on what matters most. What matters most? What is God doing? You see, believers, and I need to say this, and I want you to understand me on this, and I I say this with the fear of being misquoted. Y'all wake up right now because this always happens to me. Somebody will hear part of what I say outside of a context, and you're going to send me an email tomorrow morning and tell me how wrong I was, okay? But I want you to hear me. Hear me on this. Hear me on this. Hear me on this. Christians are not defined by a political party. We're not defined. Now, you can have a party. You have a place that you're leaning. That nothing wrong. I don't tell anybody how to vote. You vote your conscience, vote, vote whatever you believe. But believers, believers, hear me. 
we are always people of the third option. We are people of the third option. What does that mean? Well, I don't allow the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or Libertarians or whatever your party de jure that you might lean toward, I do not allow them to, di- to define my Christianity. I do not allow them to give definition to my Christianity. The Bible is the third option. And so whoever is more closely aligned to what this book says, then that's what I'm going to do. And you will find with this third option throughout history, throughout history, <laughs> throughout history, you'll define there'll be seasons in which as a follower of Jesus with certain issues, you're going to be too conservative for some liberals. Now, flip side, you're also going to find it hard to believe, but you're also going to find throughout history, throughout history, that there is a biblical position that might make you too liberal for some conservatives. And so it's always people of the third option. And so the point is this, when we step into the arena of these issues and we step into the arena of life, life, we got to always remember who we represent and never allow anyone to own us and to own our minds and to own our moral perspective. Jesus and this owns our moral perspective. It owns our thinking. It owns our responses. It owns our attitudes. Not some little, little, little throwaway line on your favorite newscaster or some little tweet that you read or some blog over here that gives a certain insight. This book, 66 books of this Bible, 66 books of this Bible tells me how I think, tells me how I feel. And I cast my vote to hold the culture accountable to this. And the culture does not hold my Christianity accountable to their whims and ways. And that's the third option. We're people of the third option. So, having said all of that, we need to stay focused on what matters most then. What will we always do? What will we always do? No matter who's in office or who's not in office, no matter what, what are we always going to do? Well, Paul says, number one, give yourself to doing good. That's verse eight. Give yourself to doing good. He says, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, those who have believed in God, who've experienced this love and mercy and kindness from him, those who have believed in God, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And then he, then, he, then he defines, I think, the good works here. What happens? These things are excellent and profitable for people. You know what he says? He's saying, look, God's people do good works for all people. We're, we're going to do good. We're going to do right. We're going to do good and right by everybody. No matter who's in office, no matter what changes, no matter what 
Supreme Court decisions or lack thereof, no matter what Congress and the Senate is doing, no matter what my local pro- nothing changes, nothing changes the fact that we're going to do good. We're going to do good. We're always going to serve people. We're always going to love people. We're always going to feed people. We're always going to give to the poor. We're always going to elevate people. We're we're always going to be advocates for those who are disenfranchised. We're always going to do that. We're always going to fight for the unborn. We're always going to do that. We're going to do good. By the way, he says these, these good works are excellent and they're profitable. And Paul is actually quoting, whether he knew it or not, he's actually quoting what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He said, let your light shine before men, everybody. Let them see the light of the grace of God in your heart and life. Why? So they, 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 they look at your good works, and what's the point? They begin to glorify your Father in heaven. That's why we do good. We don't do good because it's convenient. We don't do good to people just because they agree with us. We don't do good to people because they line up with the way we think. Because goodness is core to biblical Christianity. And so we're going to do good. That is going to be unaffected. Then I would say secondly here, and this might seem like a curveball, but I think what Paul is saying in context, even though he's wrapping this up, As you read this, you say, Crawford, this doesn't fit with the first part of the message, but it does. And let me just say, make a blanket statement. I think what Paul is saying in context here, as we slide into this next part, he's saying that, look, you got to make sure that your corporate testimony as a body reflects unity. So that you don't come across hypocritical and disingenuous. Inside the church, as we relate to one another, we've got to make sure that there is unity. Unity in the body of Christ, unity in the church. We don't reflect the divisiveness that's in the culture and society. So he gets into this relational stuff. He says, stay focused on what matters most. Give yourself to doing good. And then the second big point underneath that is that give yourself to that which enhances unity. Unity. Unity in our conversations. Verse 9 says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Yeah. You know, some things are so clear in the Scripture that it, it, it does not need a comment, but he's saying avoid people who like to argue about the unimportant things. Avoid them. Don't waste your time with them. They're chatting about C-minus issues, and they're making these secondary concerns, primary passions. And that's that's just, that's just, that's just fertilizer for division. You're arguing about this. You're arguing about that. You're arguing about this. You're arguing about that. You're arguing about that. And, and, you know, notice he says, look, don't get into these people who are lifting up these genealogies and all these secondaries. And they might be even in the Bible, but they're not primary. You're spending an inordinate amount of time with them. And I think he's saying to them, look, ignore them in a very gracious way. Our staff can tell you, I mean, I, I, this, is, this has been true here at Fellowship. 
There have been folks who have gotten, gotten all bent out of shape about a, a C-minus issue in theology, a little minute point of prophecy that, that, that is not a major issue, and they've blown it out of proportion. And before you know it, they're writing these long emails, and why aren't you preaching on this, and why aren't you teaching on this, and how come this? And, and it really is divisive. And so, you know, and people can get like that. They, you, you, get, you, get, you get onto something that is small, and it might be right in lower case, right? But it's become too big. He says, avoid that. And then he gets stronger here. He says, give yourself the unity in relationships. Now, unity, the keeping of unity requires courage. It requires courage. Just as we learned about false teachers, remember? False teachers over in chapter 1. It requires courage to deal with them. It requires courage to deal with people who are divisive. Now, this is one of the, this is one of the most direct in-your-face texts that you will ever read. Listen to what Paul has to say about people who are divisive. Listen to these words. Verse 9, he says, but, I'm sorry, verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division, circle that word division. As to a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Let me back up. Remember his point here. His point is unity. His point is unity. And I'm going to tell you something. Hear me on this. Hear me on this. Unity is a huge, big deal to God. It is huge. Thus the strong language. Do you know, do you know the main point of Jesus' prayer just before he was be crucified? Read John 17 this afternoon. What did he pray for? That we might be one. This is the reason why I have struggled with a low-grade disappointment for the last seven, eight months. And I have to tell you, to be honest with you, I've tripped over into some discouragement. What has crushed my heart, what has crushed my heart is that many believers have allowed these issues to divide us. That ought not to be. I don't care what your view is on the racial tensions, for example, uh, whatever you might be on that, this kind of thing. If we cannot disagree on certain issues and still maintain unity, then something's wrong with our Christianity. Something is desperately wrong. I don't care what your political views might be. Might be different from mine. My mind might be different from yours. But if, we, if, we, if, if we're, we're cutting off fellowship with people because somebody votes a different way to mine, something wrong with our Christianity, folks. And so he says here, you find people who are divisive. Notice what he says here. He says that you don't even... Engage them. You see, divisive people typically are opinionated, 
self-willed, and they think they're right, obviously, but they actively recruit people to their position. I've seen this through the years. This is the, this is, this is the MO of divisive people. The MO of a device of divisive people, sometimes it comes out of hurt that they've been through. Sometimes it comes out of a form of abuse that they've gone through, and I'm not blaming the victim on this. There's something that has happened to them that they've not taken care of. And there's this revenge thing, or there is this dominance thing, or there's this thing that they, they bring this shrapnel into every, every context in which you find them. They find themselves. And so when they walk into groups or they get into small groups or whatever it is, they've got this issue. They've got this one thing that they see everything in life through the, that dark lens. And they share those opinions, they share those opinions, and they, they you know, they manipul- they're manipulative, they go about, they recruit people to, to their side of things, and, and they're so self-righteous. But Paul says you don't even engage these people. You don't engage them. What you do, what you do, because their motivation is to divide and conquer, what you do to these people is that you confront them. You don't engage them, you confront them. You warn them twice. You warn them twice. And if they do not repent, they are to be removed from the fellowship. Strong language, right? But remember, unity is a big deal to God. You find someone, not, not just the person that has, you know, is, but you find someone who's intentionally undermining the work and undermining the ministry, sharing things that are not true, and they're on a campaign. And believe it or not, there are Christians who are like that, who claim to be Christians. You find these people, Paul says, you don't engage them, you warn them. And the reason why you warn them is because he says here in this next verse, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. The word warped here, I mean, it's, this, it's not a pejorative. He's not, he's not, you know, using the cuss word. It's not a pejorative. The word warped here means to, to turn or to twist out. And his point is that this is someone who has departed from the patterns of correct behavior and thinking. They don't think right. They're imprisoned to a perspective. And they have demonstrated that their, their, their sinfulness has totally contaminated their outlook. Thus, they're self-condemned. So, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is left in the world, as I have said many times from this platform, is left in the world to be the portrait of the glorious kingdom to come. We're to be models of the grace of God and doing good to all people because we ourselves have received grace. But then we're to be intentional and aggressive in terms of the credibility of our own relationships within the house of God. Let me give you four quick suggestions to keep in mind. 
So as we think about these matters that are taking place in our culture and society, and we all have views and opinions, and I have them too, and I'm not suggesting that we don't share these things. I think we should, but we need to make sure that we share them within the rails. The very first thing I would say to us is that let's keep in mind that we could be guilty of what we condemn in the culture. So when we feel strongly about somebody, we feel upset about somebody's character, we feel upset about what the policy that's being made, we feel upset about an extreme right position or extreme left position or whatever that might be, just keep in mind, just keep in mind, keep in mind that we could be, we could be guilty of what we're condemning had it not been for the grace of God. The second thing that I would suggest is this, fight for unity. Fight for it. It doesn't just happen. Fight for it. Reconcile with people. And I would also say this, just because somebody challenges your view or somebody disagrees with you does not necessarily mean that y'all disunified. You see, a lot of us, a lot of us are too childish and brittle. We want to share strongly our opinions, but then we get in a fetal position when somebody gives us some pushback. So to, to, to disagree does not mean that you're disunified. But fight for unity. Fight for oneness and assume the best about each other. Thirdly, I would suggest this. Keep in mind that we're ambassadors of hope and that which is good. I want to represent the best about my Savior. Let's keep in mind that we represent the best about Jesus. Okay? Before you post something on Facebook, before you tweet something or retweet it or whatever, or send something, remember, ask yourself the question, is this going to represent the best about my Savior? And finally, proclaim and live the gospel. Proclaim and live the gospel. That's what it's really all about. Jesus died. And he rose again. And whoever places their faith in him will have the gift of eternal life. That does not change. My desire for all of us is that we will love one another in such a way that we can have robust disagreements and conversations with one another, learn from each other, and that will not change. That will not change the depth of our love and affection for each other. It will not change that. It won't change it. And let's pray for that kind of renewal and revival to sweep across our land. You know, God's at work. Many people are praying for an outpouring of God's spirit. And there's a bunch of nonpartisan prayer movements that are taking place now. And uh, this could be our finest hour. It could be. So let's keep trusting the Lord. Father, thank you for yourself. Thank you for the patience of this loving people that give me the privilege to say what I really think and feel. God, I pray that you'll help us bless our land, bless this country with the freedoms that we've enjoyed. Oh, God, may we not take them for granted. And may may we not think that we've orchestrated it. The sovereign hand of God has blessed us in spite of ourselves. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you will guide us and direct us and help us to be the people of God filled with Holy Ghost, grace-filled civility and love for Jesus and love for others. In Jesus' name, amen.
Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy. Here are those considerations again from today's message. First, let's ask ourselves, are we guilty of the very things we condemn in our culture? Secondly, we need to fight for unity. Thirdly, remember that we're ambassadors of hope for that which is good. And the final consideration, proclaim and live the gospel. And with that, we wrap up Crawford's multi-week series called Focused and Free, based on the book of Titus. Now, there are a couple of ways to hear this series again if you missed out on some or all of it. We stream each message on our website, so you can start there. Go to livingalegacy.org, or you can download the entire series to your audio player for free. Look for the MP3 link on our website, livingalegacy.org. Crawford has authored several books, and among them, Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, Letters from a Birmingham Jail, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. We're grateful for your emails. They help us know how God is using the program in your life. Let us know when you listen and if that's on radio or online. It takes just a few minutes, and you would really be an encouragement to Crawford and the staff. Write to us this week at livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for being with us today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.